everyone i'm trevor jeremiah carter i want to thank you for coming on to my show <clears throat> excuse me i'm so excited to have another guest with us tonight and it's going to be very interesting and i hope you all prepared to hear our special guest share with us how you can transform your life to become more happier more inspirational despite what's going on around us because our guest is going to be really touching on many topics that are going to motivate you to take a step forward in your life once again, as usual, welcome to Yes You Can podcast show. I'm so excited to have another episode. And boy, it never stopped because the good work can't be stopped. And we are welcoming you all who've been here for the first time. I want to welcome you also for joining us. And um, just to give you an idea of what things will be happening upcoming very, very soon. Now, most people might know, some of you might have a story, you might have a hobby or a business that you'd like to promote. Guess what? would like to invite you to be a guest on our show and you can simply email me at info at livingyourgoodlife.co.uk that's info livingyourgoodlife.co.uk so hey who knows your story your business and your inspirational ideas may benefit somebody outside in this different world so for that reason i'm now going to move on now to our wonderful guest who is with us tonight and uh, her name is Gemma. And uh, I want to say welcome to the show, Gemma. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I enjoyed the music to get in the mood. <laughs> I, I, I do know it's good for the soul. So, hey, we've got another Absolutely. music because you're going to be our music tonight as well. Um, <laughs> helping us to get our souls and our minds and our spirits right. So, Disclaimer, again. no actual singing. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for fun, but I'm not, I'm not a performer in that sense. No problem, no problem. Hey, there's many ways you can stir up music. You can stir up music by com com having a conversation like this and getting Absolutely. people to know how to tune in to their lives. So Gemma, again, um, we have another guest with us and I want to say thank you for coming along. So for the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do. Fabulous. Um, so my name is Gemma Perkins and I'm a personal transformation facilitator. And it took me a long time to work out how to say what I do in a way that I was comfortable with, because some people might say I'm a coach, but that has one set of connotations. Some people might say they're a trainer. Um, what I do is I, I design learning programs to help people develop emotional intelligence skills, leadership, conflict resolution, well-being, a whole host of soft skills. And I use facilitator because I help people in a range of different ways. There's not one way to do it. So sometimes I'm doing very formal training. Sometimes it's coaching. Sometimes it's somewhere in the middle. I do a lot of learning through play. I do online learning. So because I dabble, I wanted a really broad umbrella 
Um, but what I, what I basically do is I help individuals and teams to become the best version of themselves by working out what it is and paving the way through soft skills development to kind of getting there and feeling you know authentically themselves and are very happy in who they are and with their performance and things like that uh, so that that's the nutshell well the words transform, transforming um mm. i'm thinking about my son like transformers you know the toy <laughs> game how they come and they transform everything uh mm. i believe um the word it has a lot of meaning uh, but before we go there Demo, what made you get into coaching? Was it something that your family were doing or is it something you personally went through? I, I went through. So when I was 16 at college, I, I was very academic but shy. And we had people come round at lunchtime and say, there's these extracurricular activities. Do you want to do Duke of Edinburgh? Do you want to do this leadership programme? And I kind of went, well, I don't like camping, so I'll do the leadership programme. It'll look good on my CV. And I was transformed and I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I, it was a residential weekend at the time where I was learning about personality archetyping. As a 16 year old, you've no idea about that kind of thing. We did some, you know, some very well-known business models of goal setting, of team dynamics, presentation skills, all the kind of things that are more, you know, your, middle manager leadership programs I was getting as a teenager and it just really helped me to understand who I was where I wanted to go what I wanted to do and so I had a transformational experience and my my now friend but the gentleman who ran it at the time said if if you've enjoyed what we've been doing here this weekend you're more than welcome to come back and volunteer to help others so I spent most of my teenage years volunteering on weekends in summer holidays doing this leadership program with with other young people and eventually when when he relocated to London I'm based in Sheffield I kind of said oh no what are we going to do about keeping this going in Sheffield and he said well if you like it start your own organization so so we wow. kind of in partnership there's a lot of trust there I I basically took elements of it with permission have innovated we work together and it's kind of it's a calling for me because it helped me so much professionally in my personal life it you know with relationships I, I do think back I'm, I'm 32 now and I think wow if I'd not had those skills as young as I did mm. I wonder who I would be I mm. really do believe I'm a better person for having learned about emotional intelligence and what I call self-leadership early on. And I'm really passionate about helping as many other people learn those skills, whatever stage of life they're at, because now is always the best time to, to work on who you are um, and, you know, and become a better, better version. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, you know, better is subjective to you, but let's have a think about who you want to be and how to get you there. Right. Now, the important thing you mentioned there was working on yourself. Uh, a lot of people tend to struggle with, well, where do I start? Uh, why is it important I need to work on myself? So from your experience, why is it important that people must work on themselves? And what results would they expect, just like what happened to you? I think 
it's sometimes hard to pinpoint, which I find exciting because you can do the same activity with a number of people and different things pop up. So um, for me, one of the one of the things that I found the most high impact when I started was personality archetyping. So the general gist being that you have a look at models of whether it's traits or motives or behavior patterns, you can sort people in a load of different ways, there's loads of different models. And when I did it, my penny drop moment was, ah, this is why I have difficulties mm. with my sister. And now I can do something about it. But when I do it in, in you know, corporate settings, it might be about, ah, this is how we connect to this customer. Or this mm. is how I, this is why the, my manager cares about this particular KPI, but I'm interested in this. So you mm. can never quite tell what the penny drop's going to be, but there's always going to be one because when you're gifting people self-awareness and then social awareness, there, there are dots that connect in interesting ways. And I really enjoy that about it, that you can't, something will probably happen but you can never quite pinpoint what it is for each individual that they're going to get out of it. And that's why I say that I facilitate, I can't guarantee mm. this is going to happen. I just create an environment where whatever change you might need mm. is, is able to incubate, but I don't know what change you're going to need. And sometimes people will come to me and say, oh, I, I need time management. Mm -hmm. Actually, you didn't need this bit of time management. You needed maybe mo motivation which is different or you needed scheduling which is a small part of it so i think the more you learn the vo vocabulary of emotions and different skill sets the more you can start to pinpoint what it is you actually need and then the change happens mm. obviously along that way you explained there's a lot of challenges that can be frightening Mm. And you don't know yourself. You think, oh, my goodness, I didn't know I had this. Yeah. Um, I didn't know I understood this. But the creativity starts to get very interesting. But for you, Gemma, what things would you say that surprised you about you when you worked on yourself? I won't say, well, what came to the surface that you weren't aware of? Uh, yeah. Just for the sake of our listeners, because people tend to find going into themselves, it's a frightening experience. Coming out of a, a box mm. they've been brought up, or used to, suddenly come out, they're like, oh, what do I do? So for you, yeah. Gemma, how is that for you? So I think, although it's scary at times to learn something about yourself, some of the models that, that I work with and were shown helped me to deal with that. So we looked at things like your comfort zone and your stretch zone. And quite often mm. when you learn something new about yourself, you go, okay, that's in my stretch zone, at least I can process why that's scary because it's there. Or when you look at a model of learning, we have unconscious incompetence, which is, I don't know that I don't know. And, and actually that's kind of cool. There's all sorts of stuff that we're not even aware of, but because we're not aware of it and we can't do it, it's just off our radar. Then when somebody makes us aware, we go, oh, now I know there's this thing and I can't do it. And depending on what it is, you know, I know I can't do astrophysics, doesn't bother me at all. But if you kind of go, oh, we've just done a conflict situation and I can't negotiate well, that could feel problematic. But by learning the model and going, okay, there's two more stages and this is how I get better and work up them, that can give you some comfort. So in some ways, 
the, the process of helping people to learn about themselves can be cushioned by, mm. by meta-learning, learning about learning so that people feel secure and not surprised. For me, certainly when I, when I first did it, I, looking back now, I didn't realize how judgmental I was. And that mm. was really interesting for me because I'd, I'd always been quite academically able and in my in my secondary school experiences found that I was bullied a lot for being the nerdy kid who sat at the front and did as they were told and was quite high achieving. I went to a, you know, a busy city school where it wasn't cool to, to want an education. Mm. And that came with its own challenges, but I didn't realize how I didn't help myself by kind of looking down at the other people who were not interested. And I, I got bullied a lot I was targeted a lot and I do think that actually if I'd have been a bit more diplomatic about how I viewed my peers and if I'd had empathy for their you know there is a reason why certain people don't get on with the education system and mm -hmm. do play up and mess about but I just saw that they're ruining it for me and I maybe hates a strong word but I probably would have used that word at the time there were classmates that mm. I, I just couldn't be dealing with and so mm. looking back, I've got a lot more empathy for them now, which right. means that I'm not judgmental mm. about, you know, about that situation. And so there were things like that that was interesting to learn because if you're not self-aware, you only see the world through your view and think mm. that that's correct. Whereas when you learn to question your views, not, not in a insecure way, but just, okay, I've got this set of thought patterns but there are other people who might think differently. How have my experiences shaped me? What are the family and cultural values? How does that come into play? And to recognize that other people may see things differently. And how do I feel about their difference of opinion and things like that? That's, mm -hmm. that's really interesting for helping you to, to socialize with other people who are inevitably part of your world. Mm. So this is why it's interesting what you're going to be talking to us about is the power of transformation. How those things have changed from where you were, you could look back and see yourself as a totally different person, but now you could say, okay, I've learned from that. Yeah. I'm now moving on forward with better tools. So jumping on a little bit about the word transformation, uh, you mentioned, you know, it too sure if it was the right word or et cetera. What is transformation? And what does it mean for somebody like you as a coach when you say to people transformation? I think transformation can feel very big. And that, that sometimes can be off-putting for people that, well, I don't want to change everything about myself. Mm. For me, transformation, again, a bit like these words of happiness and goals, they don't have to be big things in the future. It doesn't mean shedding completely who you are but it means a significant enough change to make a difference to your life. Mm. And so transformation can be, you know, powerful but small habits or a change of mindset or a change of mood or learning a tool that allows you to communicate in a new way. And I think when people start to get excited about the idea of just making a sustainable change that improves their quality of life that that's really what transformation is about and people start to get excited about it mm. uh, 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got Gemma Perkins on with us, and we're only just starting. So the motor is turning over, the key turning, but hey, we're going somewhere in this journey. So at this moment in time, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be coming straight back to continue with our wonderful guest, Gemma. So don't go too far. Relationship with yourself determines your mental, physical and spiritual well-being. When you are feeling neglected and losing the sense of yourself the cracks will start to show up. Yes, you can transform your life. Whatever your life script, your personal history and life circumstances, with each second you have a new opportunity to make the right choices and shift your life in the direction of your dreams. Join us with our next special guest Nicoletta Perogenu on Monday 6th September at 7.30pm, how you can transform your very own life. Okay, we'll have another guest next week joining with us. Very much on the line with Gemma. Uh, we do have lots of coaches out there who are putting their word out to the world to get people to change the way they think and behave. Now, Gemma, interesting thing about your topic was we tend to find people are having difficulty tapping into their emotions, their feelings and their thoughts. What I want to ask you, are feeling thoughts different? And if they are, what is it that our listeners need to be aware of when it comes to emotions and thoughts? Yeah, they are different and we can get ourselves into, into hot water when we mix the two. Um, I'm just thinking back actually to a not, not so much about my tonight's topic of happiness, but I was doing a workshop the other day for a group, um, for a team on conflict resolution. Mm. And when we're talking about a conflict, people might say things like, oh, I feel you're not listening. And, mm. that, and that's a problem because that's not feeling. We say, I feel, when actually we're having a belief or a thought. And there are loads of occasions where we mix up feelings and thoughts. There may be a feeling there, such as rejected, lonely, um, you know, there, there could be all sorts. But if we don't have the vocabulary and the ability to discern between feelings and thoughts, that can, that can be difficult. So I think a feeling is, it, it's got to have an emotional label. It's mm. got, you know, and that will come with, in some ways, physical symptoms, you know, when we're happy, we smile, we feel lighter, we feel elated. When we're, you know, when we're tired, we have a certain heaviness, we're, we're, we're slower to react. Thoughts are a bit more like the, what you're saying inside your head. It sounds obvious to, to word it that way. The two are inextricably linked, but it's, it's a difficult relationship because if you, if you, the way you think about things impacts how you feel and actually on my tools for happier living program one of the the topics that we talk about is your your self-talk and basically the, the the thinking patterns of optimists and pessimists so we, we can take any sort of event and they do this in cognitive behavioral therapy let's say you fail the job interview mm. that's the event and it happened to a hundred people not every single one of those hundred people is going to feel the same way about it. If you think to yourself, oh, I failed because, you know, I'm rubbish. I'm no good at interviews. 
I, I always underperform. It's, you know, then you're going to feel worse. You're going to be feeling dejected it's because it links to your self-esteem. Whereas somebody else might be thinking, oh, I didn't get it, but it, today was just an unlucky day. You know, maybe it was that interviewer just didn't get my vibe and somebody else will have me. That thought or that belief causes a different feeling mm. because you go, okay, you know, yeah, not ideal, but I'll pick myself up and dust myself off. And so the thoughts that we have impact our feelings. And it's really important to be aware of what our internal thoughts are like, because we might have pessimistic patterns. We might have optimistic patterns, or we, we probably want to be somewhere in the middle. You can be overly optimistic to the point of being toxic and getting yourself in dangerous situations. Mm. And so recognizing that they're linked is important because people who say you know oh you know i i often feel a bit low or tired or i'd like to be happier actually let's have a look at your self-talk because you're carrying this brain around with you all day if you could make that happier mm. then regardless of what's going on around you failing the job interview or getting it some people might get the interview and say to themselves, wow, I worked really hard. This was an excellent performance and feel mm. good. And others might get it and go, oh, well, that was a fluke. What are they doing taking me? Mm. Positive event, negative thought, negative feeling. Mm. And so your thought is more powerful than the event a lot of the time. Mm. Wow. I let that mean sit tight on your chairs because this is going to go deep. <laughs> <laughs> If you're not used to this kind of conversation, believe you me, you're on the right show because we have to tap into those areas where we don't recognize, we don't see, or we don't understand. Now, Gemma, taking a little further, why is it that people are, what is it that you would say people are struggling to understand emotions and thoughts? And why do you know people doing it? Well, to, to ask a different question, like when in your life were you taught to think about your emotions and thoughts? Mm, I yep. was taught at 16 on an optional after school program. It wasn't my parents, it wasn't the teaching system. And so it, some people do feel like I, I know a lot of people, my clients, friends, family members who say, oh, I should be able to do this stuff which right. incidentally is another form of beating themselves up because they're comparing to expectations. But I said, well, why should you? Oh, well, yeah. because it would be good to be able to. Okay, but you know, you, you're not sitting there having never driven a car saying I should be able to drive. Mm -hmm. if, if you've never had the opportunity to learn, to practice, to have instruction and, and support, no, you shouldn't be able to do it. I, I hear what the underlying message is you would like to be able to mm. do it and you're frustrated that you can't. But if we think about that process of learning I mentioned earlier, mm. if you've never done it before, of course, you can't do it yet. But what you know what? Now is a good time. Let's just start from now and, and have some self-care along the way. Right. Now, this is a bit why I ask because people say things and you think, okay, why are you thinking like that? Why are you talking like that? Don't realizing how we put the junk back into the filter mm. and we end up carrying that behavior. Now, emotions and feelings based on your experience, um, 
what would you say is a starting point for somebody who never been aware of their feelings, never been aware of their thoughts, what they were thinking? How do you approach it for them to understand the way you've just explained it? I think, again, I, my favorite answer to every question is it depends. And, <laughs> right. and a few clients have, have joked about that with me, but I would say, I don't like to tell people there's one way to do it. That's why I say I'm a facilitator because part of my job is getting to know a person and working out what might work for them and giving them options. Mm. So for some people, journaling can be helpful because that is a chance to notice your your thought patterns and your feelings and go back to them and analyze them if you're having to slow yourself down to the point of writing them mm. you're you're learning to label them you're learning to notice and feel them and you get the opportunity to analyze them and say okay I've, oh I feel this way today mm. okay why is that so uh, the starting point really in general is slowing down noticing because from there you can say this is what's working for me this is what's not journaling can be one way speaking to a coach or a friend or a professional um you know because when we say things out loud the other person if if they're experienced in this area might say oh, okay i've noticed you've said this thing where did that come from mm. i think we're not we're not taught very well how to discuss around emotions and it's always very interesting for me when people have had a stressful day and they want to rant to me because I kind of say do you want me to be in friend mode or training mode here because a lot of people in friend mode just want somebody to kind of go oh yeah yeah your boss sounds like a right so and so and agree with them and just move on mm. but but in kind of a, a professional listening role or in a you know in a reflective role you're saying oh I've noticed you've used the word like frustrated is it that you're frustrated at the situation or the person or yourself tell me more where did that come from or you know i'm hearing that um it's maybe the lack of action on this person's part what would you like to do as the next step and so when somebody's coaching and asking questions people start to make sense of those thoughts and feelings that that's that can be going a step beyond journaling because if you're journaling, you're just kind of noticing yourself and seeing what the baseline is. Mm. There's also a lot of self-help material out there around, you know, introduction to cognitive behavioral therapy or gratitude practices or all sorts of other things that just help you to notice your emotions. Mm. I, I think that self-help is a good starting point, but sometimes we don't get motivated with self-help and mm. sometimes people lose their way or if they don't understand the process of how it works, they might start with something and then adapt it in such a way that it stops working or being healthy. Mm. So, so there's all sorts of options out there, depending on whether people are, you know, highly motivated, have a lot of time, whether they're starting fresh, whether they're, if you're not much of a, a reflective person to begin with, sometimes, working with another person helps because it has the social element if you're mm. if you're a very extroverted never really thought about the feelings just crack on with my day sitting down quietly on your own can feel like the worst thing in the world right now there was something came to my mind i've been i'm married i've been married for 27 years now and um i always play a game where i look at the women are more emotional 
uh, men are not emotional. So when my wife is crying or whatever it is, I'm like, why are you crying? <laughs> but something came to my understanding is the emotional and the thoughts are very important, not because she's a woman, but because of her mind and her thoughts is a reaction of why she cries or whatever, where men just throw their arms and say, yeah, whatever, it happens, it's happened before. So there's a lot of challenges there internally when we don't recognize some of those attitude and thoughts. So taking this a little bit further on um, Gemma is the pandemic. There's a lot of uh, emotional challenges going on. Um, people don't know where to go or where to come, what to do. So the brain now is becoming very overactive, but trying to find a solution. Now, as a coach, what would you say is your approach for people who probably come to you and say, look, I'm not too sure about my job and my career. I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. I've never, I'm worried about my children. Yeah. That's a lot of emotions thrown at the coach having to deal with it. And your transformer thinking, okay, I've got to put this in perspective here now so that the person don't get overwhelmed. From your experience, how is that approach as a coach? And what is it that you leave to the individual at the end of it? Yeah. So, I mean, all decisions are down to an individual. A, a, a coach never tells or gives advice because it's all about helping people to find their own way. Um, sometimes that can get mixed up. There are people out there who will say, oh, I'll tell you how to sort your life out. But that, that shouldn't be what coaching is. And so I think really, if people have got a lot of issues, the first point is to, is to kind of briefly vent and air each one and then once people feel listened to they you know having got it off their chest slightly it doesn't make the issue go away but people feel better about it and then you can say right now that you spoke about them all where do you want to start you know there's a there's a silly but lovely phrase the best way to eat an elephant is in small chunks <laughs> and people try and, you know, you can't fix everything all at once. So you, you've identified these seven issues. Which mm. one are we starting with? Is it the one that's easiest to solve? Is it mm. the one that's going to make the biggest difference? Is it the one that's worrying you the most? And it's just a case of helping people to, to go through their, maybe their decision-making process but also to notice their emotional process because sometimes people can say things like okay I'm I'm worried about this thing and oh and it's this thing and it's this thing but every time they mention it it sidetracks into something else and what you can say as the you know as the professional working with them is okay but I'm hearing it's very related to this maybe mm. there's maybe there's some scope to explore this issue and because because a lot of people haven't had that time to practice being self-aware, labeling emotions, really thinking about their inner world, their values. What you find is that people will present you with a surface level issue that actually taps into something else. Mm. And so you're helping them to uncover the deeper issue, because if you only tackle the surface issue, it might just put a plaster on it. And the deep level issue, you know, like squashing down a bubble in the wallpaper. Yes, you've squashed that bubble, but it will pop up somewhere else. Whereas if we can recognize, okay, you know, I'm, I'm stressed about my job. Okay, is it the work itself? Is it the way, is it the managerial style? Is it the security of income? And when you can tap into what it is, and it, or it might even be, does the company 
benefit the community? Is it a corporate social responsibility? There could be a whole host of other issues behind, I'm not happy with the job, that manifest in different ways. Right. Well, what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, obviously we're going to be opening the floor very soon for you to ask Gemma any questions. So what I would do is encourage you, please, please, to be ready with your questions because you never know. You may get an answer tonight on a question you've been asking for so long and tonight could be your answer. So before we go on to back to Gemma, I want to ask everyone in the room, are you an emotional person? Very, very emotional person. If you are, type one in the chat or you, you may be type two. Just to get a feel of you in the room, our listeners, are you a very, very emotional person, type one? Or if you're not, and you may be, you can type two. So let's have a look and see where you are coming from. We've got two there. And oh. If you don't mind me, me jumping on your question, I think it's really interesting the way we talk about that, because where you were saying about, you know, the difference between yourself and your wife, when we're thinking about emotions, People sometimes look at, okay, are they expressive? Therefore, they're emotional. Mm. But you can have people who are reserved, who are in touch with their emotions. And although I'm not sure where I stand on the gender difference thing, between me and my partner, I would argue that he's more emotionally expressive than me. Um, And I think there are certain expectations around how different genders are to process emotions. But if you, if you get down to it and meet people who are emotionally intelligent and confident, gender doesn't seem to matter. So, mm. so there's a whole host of interesting things there that I'm always very careful not, not, to, not to perpetuate a myth just in case, because I feel like there's still more exploration to be done. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the reason why I ask that is because coming across people who are emotional, when certain scenarios hit them and the back is against the wall, they don't know how to respond to protect themselves from getting wounded or hurt or over emotional. So we have number two in there. We have one in the chat. So we have got a mix of people who have some emotions and okay, can control it and some of it over emotional. Now, before we open the floor, I want to ask you, um, people who are over emotional um, tend to find they panic, they freak out quite quick and they sweat or whatever it may be. And they say, you know what, I can't deal with the situation. Is that, is that something you would say from your experience? Is somebody who's fully not aware of their own awareness of what they're going through? Or would it be just somebody who just sees every scenarios and just probably get panic every five minutes? How, how is an emotional person able to deal with those things? I think we're actually talking about two different things here because what you're describing in terms of the panic overwhelm is the body's stress response, which is biologically inbuilt that if we perceive a threat, the body is designed to make us sweat, make the heart beat fast, put all the blood in our legs, help us either run away or fight whatever the stressor is. Mm -hmm. That that evolved back when we were running away from tigers. Now it can be somebody's not responded to my text. Maybe they hate me, panic response, stress response. Mm -hmm. So that's not necessarily being over emotional. That's being hyper alert and Mm -hmm. maybe not not dealing with that in, in the best way you could. But again, who's ever taught you to? I would say, you know, if we're talking about being over emotional, maybe that's 
in my view, and again, I'm wary because this isn't, there's a slight caveat to this with the research I haven't looked at, mm. but we, we all have emotions that are valid. Our emotions are triggered by whether our needs are met or not met, and then we express them how we're socialized to express them based on culture, based on, you know, relationships, experience, all that kind of stuff. So, mm. you know, that you may have met people in the street who within meeting you are overly affectionate to tell you their life story. I would mm. say that's an overly emotional person mm. because it's sort of not quite socially the norm. And you can get under emotionally people who maybe are really reserved to the point where you think, oh, they don't seem to trust anybody. But again, this is all, it's all social constructs. If somebody's getting really panicky, that's more about how they're handling stressful situations. And mm. it might be to do with their perception of threat mm. because maybe they've had some bad experiences that put them on high alert. And so you end up with, individuals who are more likely to have panic disorders phobias or you know quick stress responses but it could also be people who you know get stressed at normal things but then don't know how to get rid of the stress once it's right. there so there's mm -hmm. all sorts of different things in the process I've, i'm very careful not to generalize groups of people a bit mm -hmm. like i was saying with time management if somebody says i've got a time management issue hold mm -hmm. on that could be 20 different things Yes, maybe there's one umbrella, but let's let's dig deeper and see what it is. So again, yeah. over emotional is a very, very broad brushstroke. Mm. We'd want to explore exactly what that looks like for you in order to understand it. And with any kind of response, it's there for a reason. It's mm. trying to help you. It may have ended up being a little bit dysfunctional or burdensome or, or whatever it is, but the intention was always good. If you are sweaty and panicky, yes, it's not ideal, but that's your body's way of trying to protect you. Don't beat yourself up about it. Mm. Recognize it's normal. And then let's work out how we deal with it. And, mm. and that's really important for a lot of this emotional stuff is that it is very normal for you to have learned whatever you've learned based on your environment. Mm. And when you can have that self-acceptance, then you can start to move on without, without beating yourself up. Absolutely. I think the very strong point is about people who do literally beat themselves up too much and too often mm. uh, is a good way of what you're saying, not to beat yourself up because there is a solution. It's just knowing how to direct and lead. Hmm. Well, Gemma, um, we're going to open the floor, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, if you have a question for Gemma, please, there's two ways you can do it. You can unmute, wave your hand, and you can unmute yourself and ask a question, or you can put the questions in the chat. I'd love to hear from you as listeners. You've come on here tonight, and I know that you've come here for a reason, and you may have a question for a reason. So we're opening the floor now for those of you who would like to ask Gemma a question. Think about your situation. Think about a scenario you was in. How did you deal with it? What help did you get? Or what help do you think you could get to help you to overcome some of the things that you are struggling with? So obviously anybody in the room, uh, please do raise your hand and we shall unmute yourself and put your question forward, or you can put it in the chat. Now, while waiting for the questions, it's still open. Uh, Gemma, now, I can understand now why you're a transformer. <laughs> the title is perfect, believe me, it's perfect title. Um, because 
you are now a transforming coach and you have clients who come to you for many different reasons. Tell us a little bit about your model of your work, how it works and what you do. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm, I work more with teams than individuals, actually, which I enjoy because I find that when you're talking about emotions, when you're talking about people's strengths, challenges, perception of the world, if you work one-to-one, Yes, you can do a lot more with that individual, but when you work with a group, you get the benefit of them seeing, hold on, this is how I see the world, but you see it in a completely different way. And they learn from each other and you, and you build empathy. And especially when you go into an existing team. So I work with sometimes student teams or with corporate teams. I work with groups of refugees who are working on community projects. Mm. When they, they get the material and they kind of, okay, I'm learning the content, I'm learning about myself, and then, wow, you see the world a completely different way. That's interesting. It, it helps that team to bond far more than if you met each person individually. So my general model is I like to start whatever topic I'm doing. So whether I've been asked to do public speaking or, or time management or leadership or conflict resolution or well-being, I like to start with what I call a baseline activity, which will be something for me and for them to, to know where they're at. Um, mm. A great example of this is if I walk into a room, especially of adults and say, right, we're gonna do listening skills. Oh, I'm a grown up, I know how to listen. And so mm. they wouldn't want to listen to what I've got to say. So what I do is I ignore all that and say, right, we're gonna jump straight in with an activity or a scenario or a game that I won't tell them this, but it will kind of test their listening skills. So they'll do the activity and normally my activities have a bit of something that goes wrong on purpose because then you say, right, how was that? And they go, oh, yeah, we got into trouble there because we weren't listening to each other. Mm. Great. What, what was the barrier? Oh, well, there was this or there was that. And mm. because what I'm doing is I'm giving them an opportunity for self-awareness for them to say, ah, I have this issue and therefore I need this skill. So now they're ready to listen. Whereas if I'd have just said, okay, this is what we're gonna do, they might have resisted. Mm. So, and then we'll do a lot of, okay, here's, here's a theory. So I, I blend training, I'll do instruction and training. Then we'll do skills practice in group scenarios as individuals with kind of facilitation and coaching along the way. They will get a lot of personal reflection time with me, with each other to say, okay, I've just learned this. How does it affect my professional life, my personal life? How can I use it? Let's practice it. What went well? What do I still want to work on? Let's develop your own action plan. And we kind of, depending on the length of, is it, is it a, just a one-off workshop? Is it a fuller program? That kind of cycles round where there's baseline theory, practice, reflect, repeat. And lots of skills layer on each other. So if I'm doing a conflict resolution session, there might be a lot of listening work that goes into that. If I'm doing a well-being session, it might touch on your time management as well as, you know, self-esteem and things like that. So I work usually with a manager who might say, I need a program for this team. What can you do me for? And I'll kind of design it around that conversation. So I, right. I hope that's clear enough. It's it's not clear cut, but there's a process yeah. that, that I follow. 
No, it's perfectly fine because the program itself, as you explained it, it tells you exactly what's involved, how they're involved, yeah. and what results they can get out of it. But we do have a question there, Gemma. Um, yeah. And it says, in terms of thinking, what are the types of thinking patterns that are harmful and what might this, that sound or look like? That's a massive question. And there's a lot of types out there. Um, but then all in, all in moderation, I would say. So off the top of my head, when you're, one of the things that I talk about is how you explain events to yourself. Um, so Martin Seligman's a, a guy that was talking about positive psychology, how to live a good life, and, and talks also about the thinking patterns of people who are more in, depressed, more hopeless, and he noticed that in there, like I said at the beginning with the job interview, if you pass or fail, how you explain it to yourself makes a difference. And people who are more depressed or have a sense of hopelessness tend to do three things. They tend to think that bad things are more permanent. So, okay, I've lost my job. I'm never going to get another job. Mm. So they exaggerate how long a bad thing is going to, to last for. They possibly personalize it so they say okay it's my fault this bad mm. thing has happened and it's because i'm no good mm. that's a difficult one because sometimes things are our fault but if we're overdoing how much it's our fault if we're blaming ourselves when we don't need to that damages your self-esteem which you know leads into more depressive symptoms mm. and the other thing he talks about is pervasiveness which is about is it just, okay, it was this job interview, it wasn't quite right for me, or is it, oh, I'm rubbish at all job interviews? Mm. And if we, you know, try something and it doesn't work for us and say, okay, I'm no good at any of that, and write it off, that's going to have an impact on, on our confidence um, and I guess on our, our willingness to, to, you know, try other things and go again. So, they're, they're not the only thought patterns out there, but they're, they're a couple of ideas. There are obviously things around, you know, phobias, anxieties is a thought pattern of whether you're aware of it or not. Okay, I feel threatened, so I'm going to avoid this thing. But by avoiding it, it feels even more scary. And when it's something every day, like, okay, I'm a bit scared of spiders, I don't want to be around them, not a big deal. But I know people that okay I don't like driving on roundabouts so I haven't driven on them for the last 15 years and now mm. I'm too scared to get in the car and it's having an impact on their life mm. again not necessarily a big emotional impact but it has it, it has a damaging effect on people's ability to go to events and things like that so there's there's all sorts of different thought patterns out there but I guess what you want to be looking at is is this thought pattern creating an uncomfortable feeling is it creating a fear is it stopping me from doing something that actually I would like to do is it damaging my confidence in mm. my abilities or who I am if if there's a yes to any of those questions there's a chance that that thought pattern is is one that you want to address and cognitive behavioral therapy with with a medical professional, with a coaching professional, with a well-being expert, 
is a good way to start noticing those thought patterns and then replacing them, challenging them with something more positive, kind of saying, okay, I've just noticed I thought this. Is that true? Is that helping me? What evidence mm. have I got? How do I put a more effective thought in there instead? Mm. So I, I know that that's quite a long-winded answer and it won't capture everything that you ask because I imagine there's a manual somewhere of all the different thought patterns, but I don't know them off the top of my head. But hopefully yeah. that, that gives you an overview there. Right. In fact, it was a very good question, actually, because um, she just said thumbs up. Uh, that was a great answer to her. So, yes, it did answer her question. And, you know, Gemma, what's interesting, I'm letting everybody know there's still five minutes left for you to ask your questions. So please be free to ask your questions in the chat or you can wave your hand and put the uh, unmute yourself and ask your question forward. Now, Gemma, I'm going to go a little bit more into your business, but what came to me when you were talking, we don't, when I went through the coaching like yourself, you don't realize how much we damage ourselves, how much damage we do, um, how much we put ourselves down, how much we think negative. And it does affect your health as well. Um, so that point of what you're saying there, it's important to recognize those thoughts. Are they, as you said, are they affecting you or are they benefiting you? So very, very strong point there. So I'm yeah. sure our listeners, that was a very good strong point. So if you are thinking around that area, please do ask your questions or put it in the chat because you maybe have an answer to something you might be going through right now or yesterday or last week. And just while we're waiting, I, I think it's important to recognize that the way we speak to ourselves happens because of how we're socialized. And I, I, used, I did train as a teacher before I did this. And I, I noticed that the education system is, is really missing a trick here about teaching, mm. us, teaching us as individuals when we're young to, to process emotionally. And I guess this links to the question in the chat about how do we learn to increase our emotional vocabulary? I, the, there's a lot of answers out there. Um, the field of positive psychology is still quite young. It only really started in the late 90s. And that research hasn't filtered through to the education system. And there's also a question of do policymakers think it's important enough to, to put it in there. So at the moment, we're relying on individual professionals, maybe parents who are in the know to, to, to do this. But if we could get our teachers and if we could get healthcare professionals en masse to mm. understand this, it would make a massive difference. Because sometimes even when we say positive things, they're not helpful. So, mm. you know, when somebody has a, a good achievement and we say, oh, you are so lucky. Mm. Actually, that's a rubbish thing to say to somebody because the message you're giving them is that happened by accident. When actually mm. maybe they put a lot of work into that and, you, and you're undermining it. But it's a positive. You're, you're trying to celebrate, but there's a subconscious thing there. So right. I think how we learn to increase our emotional vocabulary is, first of all, noticing I, I always start with self-aware whatever change you're trying to make you have to know where you're at at the moment and that's why maybe journaling maybe coaching or or just kind of seeing in whatever way works for you mindfulness meditation time to kind of connect to the inner self is the starting point you can do things like look at um emotion wheels so this, this is quite fun when I do conflict resolution stuff and, and Marshall Rosenberg is a really good um, 
author on conflict and he has a an emotion bank mm. where you have you know maybe you're not angry maybe you're irked or irritated or livid or you know furious if yeah. you if you look at all the different emotion words and there's positive ones as well joyful ecstatic gleeful mirth when you look at all the different words you go actually which one am i feeling and and instead of just doing the basic happy, sad, tired, surprised, mm. notice the differences and go, okay, so why am I feeling that instead of another? What does that one feel like compared to that one? And mm. what is it about this situation? And just be curious, enjoy noticing that about yourself and that will give you more words to play with. Mm. That's more about emotional expression, but by doing that, you'll start to notice what what situations encourage that emotion in you and mm. that can be really helpful if you're wanting to live a more positive life because then you can say actually this is the type of situation that gives me a sense of serenity or a sense of excitement mm. now we've got another question coming i think you've turned the wheel over again tonight <laughs> <laughs> the car's starting and it's rumping away now but there's a question here that do you think emotional instability is mostly down to social concept and parenting. Difficult Ooh. one. Yeah, I normally given it depends, but I'm feeling like I'm leaning towards a yes on this one. In this, in the sense that they're they're two very broad things. But I I think yes on parenting, but with the caveat that I don't think it's fair to to have a go at parents. My parents didn't know how to teach me a lot of this emotional stuff. I learned it from this other course. It would have been nice to learn it from them, but if nobody had taught them how to do it, how could they possibly teach mm -hmm. me? So yes, our parenting is a problem, but you can't, you don't, if you don't know something, you can't possibly pass it on. So let's, let's not beat people up on that one. Um, there's a lot of social concepts that really hinder our emotional processing. Our current sort of ideology is built around capitalism which is sort of saying you will be happy when you've got this thing you've spent this money you've got this status a lot of the research into positive psychology is saying that that level of future thinking social comparison pressure doesn't actually help we want to be more in the moment so that's that's a whole thing there's social concepts around Oh, there's all there's almost too, too much to list when you look at things yeah. like Love Island. I, yeah. I, I have a lot of grievances there. Fair okay. enough if you enjoy it as a form of entertainment, but that gives messages about how to form relationships that can be damaging to your emotional well-being. If you're mm. after a, a long term sustainable relationship compared to, you know, just a bit of a fling mm. the giants like Facebook use the psychology of emotional processing to sell you stuff you know mm -hmm. a lot of these apps that have bright flashing colors are there to trigger your dopamine which is a reward chemical in the brain that gives you a temporary hit of i feel good let's do it again and they use that rather than doing one big game or challenge mm -hmm. okay let's do a 30 second mini challenge over and over again and before you know it you've lost half an hour and you've spent some money on some bonuses mm. or rewards mm. so that there's a lot of things out there that are using the understanding of human emotions against us right. to get mm. us to 
do whatever it is they're wanting us to do. And not enough people in the masses understand emotional processing to fight against it. Or they just go, well, you know what? It's, it's difficult to fight against it. Or change is hard. Sometimes, mm. even if you know all the tools, it, if I'm comfy right now, why would I do that? So that's a big question and opens up a numerous cans of words <laughs> exactly. about, about the state of society. You know, there's things on... There's yeah, things on gender constructs, there's things on class, there's so right. I, I think I'm saying yes. How we go about dealing with that is, you know, like eating the elephant, chunk at a time, pick your uh, little bit to focus on. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it's quite a lot to digest there, because mm. it's a lot going on. I think we said I think the question allowed me to look at there's more activities in our society now than any other time in history. There's mm. so much distraction, there's so much activities. It's like people are getting overwhelmed. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, Gemma, the emotions, the thoughts. It feels like people have lost that touch with the emotions and thoughts. And this is what I want to say from the last question is, man, I don't want to hold you too long, but it's very interesting how we're talking about this because I think it's a very sensitive area. Mm. It's a personal area because people are going through these things. Do you think, Gemma, that, when you get your clients who come to you, do you find that they're losing touch of themselves now than the last four to five, 10 years ago? Do you think society put people away from getting back to themselves with emotions and our thoughts? What do you say? I think it's, it's hard to tell because it will be an individual basis. So some people never were in touch with themselves and are feeling the effects of that and realizing something needs to change. I, I appreciate what you're, you're saying there in the question that because there's this fear of missing out and everybody has to be, has to be, you know, working and having an active social life and raising an awesome family and going on these holidays, there's a lot more pressures and social media has publicized more ideas about what we ought to be doing which distracts us, as you say, from actually, where do I wanna be? Or let's just have this quiet moment. And so a lot, of, a lot of the groundwork of emotional processing is choosing which bits of society to kind of ignore or do less of, or say, you know, I do want to have that thing in my life, but it doesn't have to be for as much of the time as everybody pretends it is, mm. because actually, I've got this other plate that I want to spin or, you know, I need this time for me. And so I think that the rise of social media and having everybody in each other's business seeing what's going on has made it easier for people to lose themselves and feel like, oh, I, I'm not keeping up with what I should be. But actually you have to remember a lot of social media is not real. People publish a a best version taken in a very special way or you know that there's a there's a definite filtering that goes on sometimes quite literally yeah. that we need to remember to you know i i was going to say um be grateful for what we have and the kind of lifestyle we want we don't always have to be progressing for more it's perfectly good to just say you know what i've got this and this is fine or if you want something else, that's also fine, but want it because you want it, not because society's told you you 
ought to want it. Mm, mm, very important point. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a fantastic heart-to-heart talk on this session today. And I must say, this is the whole purpose why we have our guests on, to talk about certain things that we probably don't talk about or we don't learn, but this is an opportunity. We want to say thank you so much to Gemma for allowing herself to come on and share at such a depth of emotions and thoughts and feelings. But more onto your business, uh, your, do you have an email, a contact details, and how is your program? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, if anybody wants to drop me an email, it's Gemma, G-E-M-M-A, at the sli.co.uk. And you can also visit the website, the sli.co.uk. I've got, um, I do workshops for companies, organizations, but I have a wellbeing program called Tools for Happier Living, which is an eight week program to help people, you know, in a, in a group setting, tap into how they're feeling about their happiness, learn some tools, but work with each other to kind of explore how they're going to implement them together. And actually over September, I've got some some taster sessions coming up if people want to give it a try and see if it's the kind of thing for them. So if you go onto the website, there's there's signups, there's there's videos, resources and things like that. Right. Well, one other thing I want to ask, and I always ask my guests, are you writing a book? No, I'm not actually. I, I wrote my book when I was 19. I wrote a book of poetry. <laughs> okay. um, uh, I... I don't know that I'm a, I'm a writing a book person. I'm, I like to talk. Right. Okay. Right. Because um, obviously books out there are digital format. People can download and get hold of them. But your experience, it says a lot. And this is why we want to say thank you for coming on, because it's in a book form where people can actually see it as an audio and read it and download it. So fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it as well. Uh, the questions were answered. And uh, what would your final word be, Gemma? What would your final word be tonight before we end? Oh, my, my eyes are drawn to the guest who, who's got a really um, good message on their profile, which is stop waiting for things to happen, go out and make them happen. And I would say in terms of happiness, you can make happiness happen if you understand what makes you happy. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, can you say that again? For the sake of our listeners, what was that again? <laughs> <laughs> we want to make sure everybody gets this okay um you can make happiness happen if you understand what makes you happy oh now then a bottle of champagne for that one that's the best one to celebrate with ladies and gentlemen strong statement please take note down on that one and please do get in touch with Gemma because you heard tonight what we delivered there's an opportunity for you to get on our program and also to learn about how you can tap into those emotions and thoughts and become the better person. So Gemma, I want to say thank you so much for being on us. It's been a pleasure to have you. And we may be looking for more of your programs to come on our show to enlighten us with great things. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to end it now. I remember we're back again next week with another coach. And uh, we're in a time and period where we need to get the knowledge as much as we can. I want to say thank you for joining us, for all our listeners, and we see you again. So take care.
relationship with yourself determines your mental, physical and spiritual well-being. When you are feeling neglected and losing the sense of yourself the cracks will start to show up. Yes, you can transform your life. Whatever your life script, your personal history and life circumstances, with each second you have a new opportunity to make the right choices and shift your life in the direction of your dreams. Join us with our next special guest Nicoletta Perogenu on Monday 6 September at 7.30pm, how you can transform your very own life.